Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, because nowhere else would have it. <laughs> I won't have it. And uh, we're talking about the prelims card this time around with a... Featured prelim, I, I guess, <laughs> between Nazim Sadiak, uh, Sad, Sadikov against Evan Elder. Definitely two names that we are all familiar with mm. and excited to see in the featured prelims. It is it is featured in the sense that both of these men have features. Mm-hmm. They both have noses. Yeah. At least four eyes between them. Yeah, at least couple of nipples in there. Most of the fingers? Yeah, at least a couple nipples. Yeah. I assume they have genitals and buttholes. Okay, you know what? We're just going to move I right haven't on. seen them. What? If I'd seen them, that would be weird. I'm just uh-huh. guessing. I'm just uh, guessing. Yeah. yeah, you're guessing. <laughs> <laughs> the real question is, do they have belly buttons? Because I believe they may have been bred in a tube in the apex specifically right. for events such as this <laughs> create the uh, ea sports is taking the create a fighter license way too seriously yeah yeah um the big vat of monster energy somewhere just <laughs> growing growing from shavings out of chuck liddell's <laughs> knuckles or something yeah <laughs> Shavings off of you know Chuck Liddell's corns. Yeah, just fling those into a vat of. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it of prime science. now? Of uh, what? It's prime now. Oh, science yeah, prime now, science yeah. is no more. I I just found out that Zion's was an energy drink the day that it <laughs> got replaced by the Jake Paul energy drink. <laughs> um, it's it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a cyberpunk dystopia, folks. It's fine <laughs> that we live in. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, Nazim Sadikov, um, Evan Elder. Um, you know, Sadikov looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's, he seems like a very solid, um, very raw, but yeah. building a very good fundamental power-punching game kind of prospect. For sure. Um, and, and there's enough well-roundedness in there, too, like... The guy's a pretty solid top position grappler. He had some problems in his contender series fight, just like losing scrambles, but yeah. certainly gave him an opportunity to show that he can keep fighting for position. He can scramble his way back to his feet if he needs to. Um, I found that a, a fairly promising performance from a, an inexperienced fighter. 
And I also especially liked the very first moment of the fight. It was one of the coolest, like, I'm young and I'm trying to innovate cool ideas. Things I've seen. He caught a body kick. Mm-hmm. The kind of reverse kick catch. Tried a straight punch counter. Kept the ankle. And then was like, you know what? I'm going to do a spinning back kick out of this. And almost yeah. immediately finished his opponent with a, a very accurate back kick to the plexus. The mm-hmm. solar plexus. Well thrown in a weird position and, and well spotted. Like the guy's got a nose for uh, for uh, openings and transitions, which is always a good sign for a novice MMA fighter. Yeah, we were talking about camps that that tend to like consistently instill good technique and like you know solid fundamentals in their in their fighters up and down. Yep, Sarah Longo has been. That's true. Keeping keeping abreast of championship contention that is very for, true for you know like 15 years now yeah that, that that's that's a, a very good point they, they have a, a basically a good working partnership like uh, jackson and wingle john used to have with the difference being that ray longo appears to actually be kind of a good kickboxing coach yeah <laughs> so like it may, you may not get the you may not get the brightest striking stars out of that that gym in the world but like usually quite it, functional it's hard not to say, you know, it's hard not to say that, oh, given like 10 years of consistently training there, Aljamain Sterling's striking game has not become yeah, yeah. notably more functional. Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And he's not the only one. Uh, Dwalish Willie as well. Yeah. I mean, Chris, guy is... Chris Weidman, too. Like, it was never like the he could never figure out how to be on his back foot. No. But pressing forward, you know, mm-hmm. there, there was a, a point where Chris Weidman was a a decent busy striker yep yep and and throws good you know principled strikes first and foremost uh with the lone exception of that spinning kick against rockhold yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh sadikov's predilection for spinning kicks looks a lot you know more considered and accurate than that yeah yeah so yeah i like the look of him and uh i he i think he's gonna kind of pace Devin elder who's yeah just not very good yeah, like, the, there's there's every possibility that uh, Sadikov could end up crushing Elder with the wrestling. That was the way that Elder lost nearly every moment of his UFC debut to uh, Preston Parsons. He couldn't deal with anything, but he was also not doing well on the feet. He's a very classic, formless, regional fighter. Yeah, he, and, he's, he's a dude who depends, whose striking is entirely dependent on his ability to scare fighters away from him yeah. with heavy kicks. Yeah. He throws great body kicks, great True. low kicks. True. But it is very much a mask of like, please do not step inside that yep. because the punching form is all like funky overhand. I'm launching my whole body at you on a on a single prayer and I will be badly out of yep. position if that goes poorly. And very poor striking and wrestling defense. And if there's yeah. one thing Sarah Longo fighters do across the board, one way or the other, it is dealing with kickers. Yeah. They they either counter them or they check them or both. And, and Sadikov can counter them and catch them pretty well. Yeah, I can easily see there there being some messy scrambles in this fight. Sadikov his 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 offensive grappling is as potent as his defensive grappling is yes. uh you know, shallow. He wants to kill. Yeah, he wants to kill. He's always jump trying to jump on things, and it puts him in bad positions. Yeah, and Elder is not unathletic. 
No. He has the speed and strength to compete. Like he, you know, he kept in that fight with Parsons uh at least reasonably well from a physical standpoint. Yeah. It's just it is a game built on a very couple shallow things. Yeah. I mean, uh, our, our listeners will hear us on the main card, Vivi, like getting off topic and talking about like skill improvement and how <laughs> underutilized it really is, mm-hmm. uh, underappreciated it is in MMA camps. This is a really good like case study for that, honestly. Yeah. Because these are both raw fighters. They literally have the same record, seven and one as pros. Uh, at a similar stage in their careers. And I think what we're going to see is that Sadikov is just fighting out of a camp that understands that. Yeah. That there, there's a way to bring fighters along with good functional skills. Yep. And that part, Elder doesn't have that. No. It it just feels... For Elder, it's very much... Well, I mean, it's interesting because he is a... Apparently now he is a, a hoofed guy. Oh, that's got to be recent, though. Yeah, I got either that like, or he's 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 got to be still so early in the hoofed process we know and love. Yeah, and I, I'd be surprised if it showed up overnight. Yeah, but that would be so, nice. I mean, that the good camp, good idea. Yeah, that it, it it can teach the, it. We we love it for what it teaches. So that you know he's got the potential to grow if he stays there. Yeah, yeah, young guy um, with like his, I say, the physical a, tools aren't aren't bad. For sure. 25 years old, uh, getting to hoofed at this point in his career, he could turn into a really good fighter. Who knows? Yeah. It's just we also have said before, as we've said before, the hoof process is a slow one. It is yes. not a it is not built for overnight success. Yes. And the big the big problem I saw for Elder in his, his debut against Parsons, who is himself not a super comfortable striker. No, no. no. Was that Elder, every time he stepped in on something, if he didn't land, he was in huge danger of getting countered mm-hmm. hard. And Sadikov is a much better puncher, a much better counter puncher, takes much better uh, options in terms of his punch selection, his strike selection in the pocket. Yep. Then I would say probably anybody that Elder has faced to this point. Yeah. It's going to be a huge, it's going to be a huge problem if he's going to, if Sadikov wants to pressure, he will be able to push through Elder's kicks. And if he does that, he will find a guy in the pocket who is just not well positioned to take strikes. Yep. And Sadikov can get there and still be on balance and ready to throw. Yeah. So you got to take Sadikov here. It'll be interesting to see if 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 uh, Kill Cliff. God, what a what a I terrible know. rebranding. The well, what what was the good rebrand that they've done? San- Sanford. That was just like that. Fine. At least just sounds like a name, yeah. It's yeah. better than Hard Knocks three six five. That's more in the Kill Cliff FC yeah, category. Kill Cliff, Hard Knocks, uh, Black Zillions. It should just be the Black Zillions. That was catchy. It, yeah, that was at least catchy. That Honor was. Honor Rashad, who I think came up with that. Yeah. Anyway, um, odds on the bout. Sadikov is a sizable favorite here. Opened at plus minus two sixty, jumped up to minus one seventy six. Is currently at minus one ninety. Elder opened at plus two twenty, dropped to plus one fifty one. Is currently at plus one fifty eight. That's fine. Could be wider, probably a little bit. Elder mm-hmm. really has a lot to prove. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Sadikov 
TKO KO plus two twenty five plus two thirty five. You know, I know maybe. Elder has has never been stopped, but uh, maybe what's his percentage? Yeah, it's pretty good for knockouts. Yeah, granted, he's you know fought mostly scrubs, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I yeah. would go for a prop bet, but I, what was the straight line again? Straight line had him at uh, minus two, minus one eighty seventy five to minus two hundred. I mean, maybe and, that's a uh, a parley kind of bet if he's in that position still. Yeah, it does look like a, a TKOK was plus two twenty five, plus two thirty five. It does look like a a pretty reliable, just straightforward pick to win. Yeah. He just, he's just shown a lot more realized potential at the both with both guys being at basically the same point in their careers. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout. Lena Landsberg, Myra Bueno Silva. Hooray. And um You know, I guess like Good for Landsberg for wanting to get back out there and still do stuff. Uh huh. But <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'm. I guess money. Like I don't know. I and I'm sure she just loves to fight because most fight pro fighters do. It's not the sort of thing you do if you don't love it. But it is weird. Like, I'm not sure why Lena Hansberg is still doing this. Until you look back and realize it's the only thing you've been doing for 10 years and now you have yeah. to do it for money. <laughs> yeah. Which is maybe the position she's in. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, she's 40 years old. She's 40. She's on a three fight losing skid. Yep. She, she's got a kid uh, now to take care of. Granted, all two pretty good fighters. Like, Landsberg has not had an easy schedule yeah, no. in the UFC, but I think Myra Bueno Silva is sort She's of in good. that category, at least next to somebody like Panny Kianzad. Like, and, and, and the bigger thing that I guess has me saying this is that Landsberg has hit a point where she seems to understand that the, the skills that brought her here do not there are not enough to bring to move her forward yeah anymore and she's trying to change she's trying to figure out another way to be in the cage she's been trying this for several years now um you know like she came in with this clinch heavy uh bullying style and most of her UFC competition has just been too physical for her to bully. And so she's tried to develop this outfighting kickboxing style married to a wrestling top game. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, it's just not going to happen. Like, I, I, I hate to say something like that, but at 40, the shift is not is never going to be complete. Yeah. And Myra Buena Silva, like, yeah, she she can be taken down. She mm-hmm. can be bullied out of position because she loves to swing wild and she doesn't really care what where you know what position she's in. 
and she loves to throw up submissions. So she will be she can be convinced to work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. But she is a hard hitting opportunist who knows how to make fights happen. Like she knows how to to make her game happen. You know, if she's on her back, if she's in the clinch, if she's out at range, it may not always, you know, her striking may not have a lot of technique to it. Her wrestling may be very just like Hulk, uh, you know, simple. Mm -hmm. But she always knows what she's trying to assert and how to assert it. Mm -hmm. And you really kind of tend to have to be a much more technical, much more well-schooled fighter to stop her from implementing her game. And that's that's just not Landsberg. Like, Landsberg doesn't finish anybody, and she's not going to... I would be shocked if she just could hold and uh, keep, keep safe against Silva for three rounds. Yep. So I I gotta take my heart point of Silva here. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I really don't have a lot to add. It's mostly a physicality pick. Yeah. You know, that that's already been proven enough times in uh Lena Landsberg's run that even like Panny again, like Panny Kianzad is nobody's idea of a great athlete. She's good enough. Mm-hmm. And even she was like too big and tough for Landsberg, who just doesn't have a very functional game given that physical disparity. So, mm-hmm. yep, pretty easy pick for Silva. Yeah, I, I, and I, I feel bad being like, I feel like I'm dumping. You've out. always had a soft but, spot for Lena Landsberg. I mean, she, you know, she she tries hard, and she came to the UFC with a very decided thing that she likes to do in the cage, and I love that. I love. Seeing somebody who isn't the best athlete in the world works hard and she's tried to adapt, you know, she has done serious work of trying to change her game and trying to be a better, more well-rounded fighter. Yeah. You can see it, you know, it's, it's it's a bit like Betch Cohea where it's just like, Mm -hmm. I can see all the things you're trying to do. You're just, you're not a physical force. Yeah. And and hey, she's pulled a couple of uh, you know yeah. upsets where you're like, oh, yeah. she she's uh, consistent and uh, hard nosed enough to surprise people that look like they have that kind of physical potential. Yeah, you know, if if you are willing to, if you cannot fight off your back, and if you cannot fight off the cage, mm-hmm. Landsberg will put you there, and she will keep you there. Yep. But, but it also not... feels like the wheels are just falling off. Like, yeah, exactly. Like I she's say, too old now. Yeah, and she's trying to get away from that because it isn't. It hasn't been working the way she wants it to work. So you know, you see her last time out against Carol Hosa, and it's Hosa holding her against the cage while Landsberg tries to be an outstriker, an outboxer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, I. Uh... This is. It, it, I, I'm, you know, Silva needs fight. It, it fights. It's fine, but yeah. What else are you gonna do with Lena? I yeah. mean, if this is, you know, if she's proven she can be like a Macy Chasen, this is like, I don't know. What's the point of feeding Lena Landsberg? I guess you could use her to introduce new fighters. 
Yeah. Uh, as a promoter, but otherwise, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. Silva opened at minus 400, is currently down at minus 467. Lena Landsberg opened at minus, plus 330, dropped to plus 300, is currently up at plus 353. Mm-hmm. That is totally reasonable, and it does make uh, Myra Buena Silva the biggest favorite on the card. Wow. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Oh, wait. Does it? I, I keep looking at the wiki and yeah, it yes, does. that brings it's, us to a featherweight bout. Jamal Emmer's Hussein Askabov. Yeah, another uh, new signing. They seem to have kind no of. shortage. Uh, what's what's what do you mean? Uh, Askabov was was all actually signed. Uh, Askabov. 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 Yeah. Askabov was actually Stop signed to the UFC two years ago, three years ago. Oh, okay. In twenty twenty. And uh, visa issues and injuries have sidelined him ever since. Okay, I did not check the dates enough to put that together. Yeah, he's a, he's a Katarov guy, so I'm not uh-huh. surprised at all that uh, he had some visa issues. Yeah, were those injuries because he expressed sympathy for gay people? Probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. Anyway, um, you know, he... Uh, he doesn't look that good eh. to me, honestly. I think he looks like a pretty great athlete yeah. with a wild game that you get away with by being a great athlete. Very, very wild. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who, like, for every shockingly clean takedown he finishes, there is, like, a, a, an eight-punch sequence, an eight-punch striking exchange. You're like, what are you doing, dude? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. head down. The worst, most reckless swinging I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, really, really messy fighter. I, I think for because of that, this is one where, uh, despite the fact that Jamal Emmers has basically gotten smoked by grapplers, mm-hmm. this is one where he might have some chances. I mean, the thing um, with Jamal Emmers, if you watch him, you know, you go watch his, his best performances, his best fights. Yeah. Even even the fights he's lost, there is nothing significant technically right. wrong with Jamal Emmer's game. Like, yeah. this is a very good, solid, well-put-together fighter who is probably, I mean, it sucks that his career has gotten so stalled by injury. He yeah. hasn't fought for two years. Well, he got his knee shredded by Pat Sabatini. He got his knee shredded by Pat Sabatini. It really sucks because I think that Jamal Emmers is at this point in his career a better fighter than he ever has been before. And this is somebody who started in 2012. Yeah. Because he has he clearly has a love of boxing. Yeah, yeah. As a but he was a career, you know, he was he was an amateur wrestler all through his younger years. And I think it's really taken the decade of MMA to get his boxing to a point where he can fight the kind of fights he wants. Right. And he looks good in those fights. I agree. You you look at that Vince Cachero fight he had. He just schooled Cachero. Yeah, I I think I agree. I think Emers is a pretty quality fighter. Yeah. And he married like that with his wrestling game. Like, he's not an easy fighter to take down. Right. He's not an easy fighter to uh, defend a, a wrestling shot against. He can he can put together good wrestling sequences. He's a and little... then he is a 
very punishing forward moving aggressive volume boxer. Yeah, he is a little with some stylistic differences, a little Bobby Green esque. Mm-hmm. Very. Um, and it's not like he even looked bad in the Sabatini fight as long as it no. lasted until yeah. he made the incredibly reckless decision to get into a 50-50 leg lock race. Yeah. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. With with a guy who you, you were, you know, again, small sample size problems, but it started good. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was out there landing his punches. He was moving around. Um, he actually, like, sat. I don't think it was a true knockdown, but he did something I'm always clamoring for for punchers to do against grapplers, which is, you know, interrupt their shots with, with body blows. Mm-hmm. He sat Sabatini down with a left hook to the liver as he was trying to go in for a shot. That's how it ended up on the ground. Yeah. And then he jumped on him, and he, he rode out a couple scrambles, maintained mount. Like, hey. This guy's got a feel for this uh, scrambling business. You can see the wrestling yeah. background there. He's floating and riding this position really well. Yeah. And, and you know, um, somebody who drove, he drove Giga Chikazi to a split decision. Like, yep. Yeah. He's, he's a solid fighter. Um, he really is. But he also made a terrible, terrible strategic decision trying to go for a toehold of all things, which he did not appear to have any idea of how to finish beyond just cranking on the foot. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot more to a toehold. I mean, realistically, a good toehold should be kind of the same pressure as a heel hook. Mm-hmm. It's this twisting action, but it also involves your legs being engaged to lock down the opponent and not, you know, your leg being in a position where you're just getting heel hooked at the same time by a guy yeah. who's actually good at leg locks. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think just some some misfortune, a couple of bad decisions, and then the injury that resulted from that bad decision. Tough to know where he's at. And I don't know what the story was with his – they tried to book him against Daniel Pineda. Yeah. Like not that long after the Sabatini loss. Mm-hmm. You know, like eight months later. I don't, I, I, It just says canceled on Tapology. I have to wonder if he got into camp or had a recurring knee injury or something. But that could be a career-ending sort of problem that he he sort of walked himself into there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I would like to say I kind of favor his chances against Askapov because Amherst can shut down a single-shot takedown, which tend to be Askapov's best takedowns mm-hmm. when he just shocks his opponent and runs them off their feet. I've seen him beaten out in clinches and, and resulting tie-ups when the initial shot doesn't succeed enough times to think that Emmers can do it. Mm-hmm. And he is a complete mess as a striker, mm-hmm. just a complete mess. So I, I'm very tempted to pick Emmers. But my real problem is just really doubting where he's at after that injury. Yeah. I think too, you have to look at, you know, the other unfortunate thing here is, you know, Emmers is a great argument too, for why sports aren't fair. Well, yeah, because, you know, we talk, this somebody who makes all the right, he makes all the right decisions. He does all the right things. He, he, or he not in in the cage, I mean, with training, you know, this is somebody who's clearly put in the work. Yeah. He's he's progressing in a reasonable way. He has, he has crafted a complete MMA game that serves him well. Right. It's very functional. It's based on aggression and pressure and volume. It includes good wrestling, and it is just functional. And he has just regularly lost over his career to good athletes who can do really good athlete things to him 
in the in the moments of decision making where you don't always necessarily make the right decisions his margin is just smaller you know yeah he's not a bad athlete but he's not the cream of the crop and unfortunately for him his game the very good smart game that he's put together it is a very much throw yourself into the teeth of your opponent's offense kind of game yes you know, it is not a, oh, I'm going to sit back and be cautious and let let space be my defense kind of that's, game. That's why he's not actually Bobby Green. <laughs> yeah. He's not slick. He's not slick. He wants to get in there. He wants to mix it up. He wants to put pressure and volume on you, force exchanges, force scrambles, force yeah. all the things that, you know, if you were a really elite athlete, would probably win him more of his, you know, a higher percentage of Yeah, I mean, when you think about it that way, the decision to get into a leg lock fight with Sabatini is sort of horribly poetic. Yeah. For something that may really have been Emmer's primary stylistic problem throughout his career. Mm Mm-hmm. This is not your fight, dude. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I think just for that, I got to pick Askapov. He is, to I I see him and I watch him and I see a guy who is Really, very fast. Like, yeah, very fast. And he will get opportunities. Emers will provide them. Yeah. God, I do not like his fighting style, though. Yeah. And he he has largely been going out there. And I mean, there's some exceptions. His record isn't like completely cans. Yeah. But it's a lot of just shocking, less experienced fighters in the first round with his insane aggression. Mm-hmm. And every time that doesn't happen, it does tend to be a pretty tooth and nail fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Especially because of the doubts I have. I just, I don't have a good feeling about Emmer's, again, like fatally poetic <laughs> decision in the Sabatini fight. Like, it, yeah. That, at 31 years old, when you really should be peaking to then have your knee just destroyed and sidelined for two years, and then your next fight, when you're already a guy who can get suckered into other people's fights, to go in there against someone who's just insanely aggressive and single-minded. Yeah. If he starts cold at all, it could be a really bad uh, a, a really bad tone set very quickly. Yeah. I, I got to ride with Askabov here. Yeah, I'll go with you. I'd love to see Emmer's win, man. I would love yeah, to see no, him I, I like, have a little post-prime run here. I mean, yeah, I like I li- his game. I like what he's done. Yeah, he's, me too. You know, he's put together a really good, solid style, and he's done it through a lot of hard work. It's yeah. really, you know, you want to see that kind of stuff pay off. Uh, Askabob open at minus two thirty-five. He's currently up at minus one thirty-five. So, uh, you know, gamblers are not not feeling. The uh, certainty, the, you know, they're not feeling all that certain on the, the Chechen after a few years on the sidelines. I'm just saying, 23 yeah. and 0. I mean, yeah, he's got the long layoff, too. Who knows? Yeah. But he does at least have a, there's only one thing he wants to do, and that yeah. should be handy. Uh, Emmer is open at plus 200. He's currently down at plus 111. So, right. is. I, I guess it's one of those things probably for gamblers. They see the fight, you know, the, the fight, the line started wide. And they see Emmers is like, oh, he's actually pretty decent. They're, they're, both guys have big X factors. 
Yeah. Take the chance on the underdog bet there, I, maybe. I think it should be close. I don't really have feel like a really compelling reason. I can't yeah. pick, picture super clearly how Askabov beats Emmers everywhere. I think Emmers is yeah. just can fundamentally compete with a lot of people basically everywhere. Yeah, he really can. Uh, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Ovin St. Prue, Felipe Linz. Yeah. And... Um, why is this so low on the card? <laughs> like it's not a good it's not a good fight really, but it does no. seem like more relevant than most of the why is William Knight marching Procneo on the main card? That's this the, the question, yeah. Because like e- e- you know, even just in terms of credentials and all that, yeah. Like OSP has been a headlining attraction for the UFC for years. Yeah. And Linz is a former PFL champ, which is at least, you know. It's a bigger accolade than Prochnio's one championship run. Yeah, and had a a big performance in in his last fight. Yeah, I mean he he had his fight against Prochnio. Yeah, and he beat and him. He kind of wrecked him. I mean, like yeah. it was suddenly Felipe Linz looking hot and skinny, and it was like, oh, this guy might have been a light heavyweight all along. Yeah. Uh, it's all bad news for Ovin St. Prue. Yeah, yeah. Has always been a guy who depends on I'm gonna have a bad fight, but at some point yes. I'm gonna pull off a ridiculous moment of power. Yeah, that turns this fight around for me. Yeah, that has always been OSP's thing to be the monolith that like can get beat up for two and a half rounds and yeah. then land one looping left hook that just crushes his opponent. Yeah, just looking sort of sad and miserable the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and then just discovering that, you know, you've won approximately 50% of all these fights for a reason. Yeah. And that reason uh, is diminishing with time. Yeah, that the ability to pull the trigger and find that moment has only become less and less. Yes. And uh, Linz is not going to be giving up size and power to OSP. Not a lot of it. He looked like a bull in that Prachneo fight. Mm-hmm. And OSP is, for all of his size and power, is does not fight with the confidence of a big, powerful dude. Mm-hmm. He, you know, his his heavyweight run was very notable for how, how absolutely terrified he looked of all the heavyweights. And, um, yeah, I just got to pick Linz to go out there. And as long as he's just... Even if all he wants to do is throw punches, as long as he's willing to stock forward and throw punches the way he did against Brochneo. 100%. This is his fight to win. Yeah, I, I really see no reason to uh, to pick OSB. <laughs> like, Linz no. uh, looked more than fast enough to be a light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, slimmed down. He's always had a pretty good... Um, like a, a pretty good boxing game, you know, pretty good based around straight punches and efficient combinations. And um, it looks like he's a little harder hitting as a light heavyweight, yeah. too. I mean, that, that you know, the, he's 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 a pretty big light heavyweight now. So uh, and he was really aggressive against Procneo as well. Yeah, that was really is, good to see, which is that was not him at heavyweight. Yeah, really not always been the case. It looked like he got in there and he was like, oh, this dude, this man's tiny. I can bully him. Mm-hmm. He looks super confident. And OSP is not tiny. 
uh, by any definition. Maybe that, but he is incredibly passive. Yeah. And if, if perhaps Neil comes in without confidence to bully, yeah, Owen St. Prue will give him space to build confidence. Yeah. Uh, Linz, you mean? Uh, oh, yeah. If Linz comes in without confidence to bully, OSP will give him space yeah, to build it's confidence. It's just going to be nonstop invitations like, hey, try walking up on me. See what happens. Yeah. Not yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Is the answer basically whatever you want to happen? And uh, yeah, OSP. I just see him just backing himself willingly into the cage, uh, just willingly abandoning his stance, not having any semblance of a guard, not even showing like a counter punching threat that will convince Linz not to walk up on him. OSP has entered the Burger King stage of his career. I don't know what that means. The have it your way stage. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. Blah, 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 blah. I'm hating it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <sighs> You're not the guy expected to be dropping uh, a fast food slogans. <laughs> I'm, I'm really actually just stepping on that that sweet Denny's royalty money for you. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but oh, wait, no, 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 no. We can't talk about other fast food on here. OSP, we had the meats. <laughs> Not anymore, though. I don't know. I don't know what we're saying. No. I'm picking Felipe Linz. Yeah. OSP opened at plus one, 110, jumped up to plus 180. Is currently at plus 176. Not much movement on that line. Linz opened at minus 130, dropped to minus 210. Is currently at minus 217. That, that takes us to a welterweight bout. AJ Fletcher, Themba Garimbo. Mm. Um, and man, this is a fight between two dudes that I do not know why they are here. Yeah. Like Fletcher, I know how he got here. He had, uh, he, he's got a certain physicality and durability to him that made him look like a pretty good uh, raw prospect. But Themba Garimbo, his game is no fun at all. No, I mean, he. I think he also looks like he's got some physical potential. He's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, you know, like, he looks like he's got some power. He's really, really awkward. Just like, this dude just got decisioned by Henderson Fajera. Yeah, like in his the fight before his last fight. Yep, I, I don't know. It's I, confusing. I I, AJ Fletcher makes more sense to me by far because yeah, it's, it's even much, in his last loss, like the dude is an animal. There's no question about that. He's insane. He's really, really driven, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, one of these days, one of those comeback attempts is going to work out. It almost did against Angelosa. Yeah, maybe he can get some maybe he can like you know grow some arms and then he'll be a real real threat yeah that's his really obvious problem is he is just the stumpiest man <laughs> i mean he's got to feel kind of shit on because like yeah cause he's he's bad, gonna, he wouldn't be a bad fighter if he had if he had so. a reach that like went past yeah. x He's not even like a necessarily terrible boxer by MMA no. fighter standards. Like when he puts his hands together, when he somehow wanders into his range. Yeah. Um, 
or the opponent stumbles into it for him, like, yeah, he, he's, he, he's pretty ferocious. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just saying, like, he fought, they booked him against Semmelsberger. Like, if you want to make the most of a reach disadvantage, that's the booking to do it. Yep. And then it's Angelosa, who's smaller, but still a pretty lanky guy. And now they're like, well, we're going to give you a guy who's worse, but he's going to be closer to Semmelsberger in terms of reach. Yeah. He's going to be pretty lanky. Sorry, AJ. But yeah, I'm definitely going to pick him. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, Garimbo is just really, really messy. He's incredibly messy. His striking is panicked entirely. It, it, the only function his striking serves is to try to make you feel the panic he feels for having to be there and strike. <laughs> like he, he sort just... of reminds me of uh, Alain Patrick in some ways. Mm. That kind of striking, like Alain Patrick, would get, get surprisingly yeah, tough yeah. fights to people. Yeah. But it's like he's hating this. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I have to punch you. Please don't make me punch you. And then it kind of works. Like, yeah, I mean, it is very it. much like the arms are out, uh huh, and the head is up, and I am just, or the head is down rather, and I am just twisting my body as fast as I can <laughs> to try to like club you with one of these extended arms. That is, yeah. that is the kind of striking that you see at a Themba Garimbo. Yeah, I still think he's he's very likely a guy who has just never had good coaching. I don't oh, know exactly. Yeah. I, where does he train out of? UMF Johannesburg. Okay, South Africa? Yep. I was going to say, I don't know what the MMA scene is like in Zimbabwe, where he hails from. Um, he, it's, he's been fighting out of, out, out of South Africa in the EFC scene, which is like, you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. not a high-level MMA scene, but the UFC's consistently picked guys out of there, and it's got... they they. They are constantly delivering some form yeah. of internationally applicable MMA. Yeah. So again, I, it looks like he looks like a guy who there's enough like innate accuracy in insanely awful exchanges. Yeah. That you know that, that he's just so flailing and and technically deficient that maybe you get him to a good camp and he could be a good fighter, but it hasn't happened yet. So yeah, I don't even know why I'm talking about it. AJ yeah. Fletcher. He, because otherwise his entire game and the reason he's probably had the success he had regionally is that he's just the guy that wrestles on a scene without wrestling. Yeah. And the guy who hits submissions when he is, because he also gets out wrestled despite yeah. that. Yeah. Like he just that falls fight, down and gets knocked down. And that fight he had with Julio Rodriguez, or Rodriguez, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez, Julio Rodriguez. There we go. I got it. If through. anything, yeah, Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez. It was just Garimbo blanketing him for every minute of three rounds. That was yeah, it. Rodriguez has a great topology picture. He does. Just him doing like a 1992 rap album cover pose, mm-hmm. a, a b-boy pose. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, and then but, otherwise, I mean, the thing is, is he, despite having something like a wrestling game, being a blanket, he also just gets taken down. He's just yeah, he's not a good wrestler. He's so, just the only person who did it. Yeah. Where you know where he was, and even then, he's got three losses to his his record. Yeah, you know. So, so then the other saving grace is yeah, having like a triangle and a guillotine for when somebody gets on top of him. He's just yeah. so off balance all the time that anything bad could happen to him at any moment. Yep. 
should be a very winnable fight for AJ Fletcher. Garimbo will constantly negate his reach advantage. Fletcher is a good athlete. He yep. is, you know, he, he's a, he's actually an ex-football player, not an ex-wrestler. So his wrestling game isn't perfect, but I expect he's got the strength and physicality to keep to keep this fight standing. Mm-hmm. He's got or to yeah. be on top. The physicality that, like, even though it's not a great sign of Angelosa surprises you with a shot, yeah, and quickly gets you down, scrambled out of it, yeah. And uh, and took a serious beating and was still there in the second round, just throwing hammers in close. Yeah, he's a very tough fighter to d- deter or put away. Yep, he's just got a sixty-seven inch reach. Yeah, even for his height, he has short arms, and he's not tall. Yeah, Garimbo will have a twelve or a ten-inch reach advantage. Yeah, good good thing he's not going to use it. Yeah, it, it is very good for Fletcher. Uh, and that brings us to uh, our final fight of the card, a flyweight bout, Juan Camilo Ronderos against Clayton Carpenter. And um, mm-hmm. this feels weird to say, but these flyweights are not good. Yeah, where are they finding all these guys? They keep um, finding bad flyweights. Well, Juan Camilo Ronderos, um, he... He got picked up. A, he's an extreme couture guy, and then he re- like it, it. You know, Eric Shelton should be ashamed <laughs> because we we watched Eric Shelton a lot in the U when he was in the UFC. Yeah, me. and he really had the physicality to be a very good potential fighter. Yeah. And, and even the even the skills, yeah, honestly, and, just not and, the brain of a good fighter. Yeah, and the reason Ronderos is here is that he beat Eric Shelton in a five round split decision. God, it must have been a terrible fight. His fourth pro fight of his career. It must have been an absolutely atrociously boring fight. I watched it, and it really so much of it was Shelton backpacking. Uh, Ronderos uh-huh. and Ronderos taking Shelton down and just holding him against the cage. Yeah. And that is why Ronderos is here with five fights into his career. Um, and then he gets shellacked by David Dvorak. Yeah. Because the biggest thing that Ronderos does is wrestle and he's not a great wrestler. But he's tough, and he wrestles, and that's it. Yeah. And Dvorak was just like, "Well, okay, I'm just better at you than a, 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 a you than or than you at everything. I can do that. That's fine." Yep. You heard him with a body kick. You heard him with punches. Choked him out with one arm. He beat him in the grappling positions. <laughs> Dvorak's nobody's idea of an elite, elite flyweight. He's just a solid fighter. Yeah. And so then you turn, you know, we turn our attention to Clayton Carpenter, and you're like, "Okay, well." He must be the A side. Yeah, Carpenter can do this, and then you watch his fight that got him into the to the UFC on the Contender series, and it's like, <laughs> okay, you're kind of getting your ass kicked by a subpar athlete who's just big, and you are making a lot of mistakes in the wrestling, and you're not really finding any 
sperm advantage anywhere and you keep throwing yourself into danger. But you gutted your way through it, got a couple takedowns, got on top and, uh, you know, kept throwing just wild haymakers and high kicks at this guy. And it was enough to get you the decision. And now you're here. Yeah, I thought they used to not sign guys off performances like that. They, you know, Dana White did this whole big posturing thing of like, this year it's it's tough again. Contender series is tough again. We're taking only Joe Pfeiffer off the first episode. You want to be a man, be like Joe Pfeiffer, you sissy scum. Uh-huh. And, uh, that which, was is, all- which is not what we're asking for here. Yeah, that was all because Lorenzo Fertitta was there, showed up, and nobody had a good fight. Dana White was like, Contender Series is awesome. It's where the best fight the best. Oh, my God. That's so pathetic. He was actually, like, embarrassed in front of Lorenzo. Yeah, yeah. That is so pathetic. And so he made this big, like, you know, you and as of today, as I live and breathe right now, they signed, I think – at least 46, maybe 48 of the 50 winners <laughs> off of the Contender Series that season. <laughs> Literally everyone who went through and got a win. He's just the most full of episode. shit, man. He's just the most full of shit, man, alive. He literally only said that because Lorenzo was, like, listening off camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it, it is just at this point a rubber stamp factory. Still. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, almost inexplicable when somebody gets a win and doesn't get signed. It like is. The, it is. the like, heavyweight guy on the main card was one of those cases. And it's like, why him? Yeah. And that, you know, that was why, too. Like, um, you know, he came out that first episode. People were like, oh, wow. It's back. Contender Series is back to being an actual, like, Real litmus, you know, you have to be exciting, not just winning, but exciting to to get here. And no, it's just. I'd rather you not have to be just winning or just exciting. I'd rather you have to be good. Yeah, but. Because when they sign a guy just because he's exciting, like 60% of the time he turns out to be shit. Yeah, but that, I mean, it's such a better scouting system than tough. Well, no doubt about that. It's just they bring you real fighters, but. You know, the, the 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 classic scouting system was the ultimate fighter, champions from other organizations that are friendly with us and will release their fighters to our contracts. Yeah. Managers who will tell us how good this young guy they have in the gym is. Yeah. That was the scouting system of the past. Sean Shelby and uh, Joe Silva would make a big deal about all the tape they watch all the hundreds of thousands of hours of fighting, you know, fights they watched and all that. And occasionally they'd pick up a real hot prospect, but they almost never just took chances on, Oh, this guy looks like a good athlete. We should jump on him now before anybody finds out about yeah. it. That was rarely ever actual scouting that they would do. Yeah. It was, it was more like some, some manager I was doing Coke with at Caesar's palace told me about this dude. <laughs> yeah. We saw that Prado guy last week. Yeah, a good and, a good MMA scout would not have thought they had a genuine hot prospect in that. Exactly, uh, or, they did. You know, they were fooled. We have Themba Garimbo here. Yeah, where, why why would you why would you sign this guy cold? I don't get it. Like, yeah, very good question. Um, so you take all you know. So the contender series to that end, it is 
worlds better as a scouting process where at least you're 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 sitting there watching these people compete even once and then you're being like okay yeah you won great go it's better it's yeah. not it's not great but it's better but then what is the process for signing them well they they were there they, they won should. they were there they saw them i oh i remember this guy's name when i'm booking this next you know card 3 weeks 3 months out or whatever yeah anyway uh i'm picking clayton carpenter yeah he at least seems like he puts together a lot of things on the feet. He tries a lot of stuff. He stays aggressive. Ronderos, he got here with the with a blanket style that just does not seem like it's going to work yep. at flyweight long term. And he needs to add a lot to it. So, yeah, I'll take Carpenter. But, I mean, you know, if Ronderos just goes out there and takes Carpenter down and holds him down. I'm not going to be shocked. Yeah, but it also looks like Carpenter has more physicality than Ronderos. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's you know he's not like a an incredible athlete, but he, this is a guy who will fight really hard and scrambles. Um, yeah. who can actually like because of his athleticism, not really because of any technique, put some strikes together on the feet, find some yeah. openings. Yeah, go out there and be like, here's two punches. Oops, I see you're off balance. Here's a head kick. You know, mm-hmm. Ronderos just doesn't even have the sort of dexterity to do stuff like that. Yeah. So and uh, and yeah, David Dvorak just shut his wrestling down with ease. I gotta think the a lot of his win in that Shelton fight was just because Shelton is one of the most utterly passive fighters. Yeah, Shelton. It, it really was just a like. A stark reminder of why this person struggled so much at the top levels. Yeah, just inherently hesitant, reluctant to to advance, to take any chances. Um, yeah, there's a reason that he like flamed out of the UFC pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. Uh, odds on the fight. Carpenter is a heavy favorite. Opened at minus three fifty. Is currently up at minus three fourteen. Ronderos opened at plus 285. Is it plus 249? Carpenter should not be that heavy of a favorite. No. But he should be a favorite. He should be a favorite, but he went to a pretty ugly decision where he got dinged up a lot against a bigger but not great athlete who had no real game plan at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, Ronderos, at the very least, has a very definite plan of how he's trying to fight. Yeah, true. You know, he's going to come out there and he is going to try to hold Carpenter down. So, yeah. All right. That wraps things up. You can find me on Twitter at the same time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. Find both of us over Bloody Elbow. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Elbow, er, on, uh, Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC Fight Night. Krylov versus Bob. <laughs> Which is it's better not, than this. Yeah, it's not great, but it's better than this. Now that we've been through this, I can almost trick myself into saying I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Almost. Almost. All right. That's it. <laughs> Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. 
With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>